ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Welcome back, and thanks for listening to The Game Changer, sponsored by Traveling to Give, a smart trip tool that helps you leave a legacy with every visit to your facility or your events. Good afternoon. Welcome back to The Game Changer Network, and I am excited today to introduce you to somebody who is, I will call a man after my own heart, because we are going to be talking about big ideas. And for anybody who knows me, you know that innovation and doing things differently and breaking through is what I am all about. So uh, to have someone on the show who, who shares those same passions is really exciting. So our guest today is Brian Matamor. And Brian's book that we're going to be talking about isn't, isn't a recent book, but uh, clearly this is the core of what his work is all about. The book is called 21 Days to a Big Idea, Creating Breakthrough business concepts. And he, he wrote another book uh, on the same topic. And I actually love the, the first one, uh, the title Idea Stormers, because we talked about brainstorming, but it's really ideas that are at the heart. Welcome, Brian. Well, thank you, Chickie. I, I appreciate your having me. Brian, you know, one of the first things I ask all of my guests is to give us some insight into you as an individual and those things that we might not see on your LinkedIn profile. Sure, well, I, I grew up in an intrapreneurial household. Yeah, my father had started a division of Time Incorporated called SAMI, which became the second largest uh, research firm in the country uh, behind Nielsen at the time. He named it after our dog, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had a dog, an English center named Sam, and he. And it stood for Selling Areas Marketing Incorporated. So anyway, the point is I grew up in an entrepreneurial, uh, entrepreneurial uh, household where ideas were, were appreciated and championed. And so I remember, you know, watching TV with my dad, who would also come out of advertising, and he'd be critiquing commercials every night. And so I was at his knee um, getting an education about, you know, what's a good idea in his mind and what's a not a good idea. So um, my wife, Track, I was a psych major at Dartmouth, but I really was interested in how you get uh, big ideas. And so I've really spent, devoted my entire life to that and how you get them, but really from a pragmatic standpoint, what can you do? What can you use to, to inspire um, and then develop ideas that have, you know, value? So both the ideation processes and right. the innovation processes. Well, it's interesting, Brian. I actually, uh, I didn't grow up in that environment. My mom was a music teacher and my dad was a pastor. So it was about as far away from that as I could possibly get. So I am not exactly sure how I became what I became, which was I was the entrepreneur. Uh, I worked at uh, American Airlines Sabre, which was a, a large travel technology company. They ended up uh, breaking off from the airline after a while. But, you know, in those early days, that was when uh, travel was becoming automated. And I, my first book that I wrote was called E-Commerce Pioneers because they were doing e-commerce back in 1978 
when I joined the industry, right? So very, very early on. And then I was pulled out uh, of my day job from within the company every time they needed something new. So they would have an idea and a blank sheet of paper, and I was the one that they called in. So I, I was in the head of the line when God was giving out that creative <laughs> ability. And I will tell you, probably one of my biggest challenges through all of that, and I, I suspect we'll talk about it today, is how to get other people on that bandwagon so that they can actually catch up with you when you're a natural idea person. Well, so you let me unpack a little bit about what you just said there, because first of all, I think your environment was really interesting for creativity. You know, musicians uh, mm -hmm. have pattern recognition, recognition, and there are music musicians who go in finance because they're good at recognizing patterns. And as a pastor dad, I assume he had to create a a, a talk, an inspirational right. talk every week. So come on, that's, I think, good training, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. You know. But the business side of it, not sure where that yeah. came from. But uh, I ended up going to Oral Roberts University. And uh, I, at the end of the first semester, I came home for Thanksgiving after having written a paper on the value of experience versus education and convinced my parents to let me quit. So I'm the only one in the family without a degree, but it hasn't mattered. Well, and the other thing I wanted to say is um, I, ha I have a bias. I sometimes am asked on radio or TV interviews or whatever, you know, can you teach creativity, right? And my response is, well, we've learned how not to be creative. So yeah, you can teach creativity. And what that means is my bias is that we're all born creative and that it kind of gets uh, educated out of us in a lot of cases. And so somehow you were able to keep that spark of creativity alive through all the, you know, the multiple choice tests that we all had to go through in the school right. environment. Right. So I am, I am curious as how you got to the place where, uh, again, what my experience is yes. with authors is that they have had a book idea brewing within them or, or they've been teaching, you know, kind of one audience at a time, a, a process, and they really want to reach a bigger audience. So how did this book and, and actually the previous one, uh, how did those actually come to be? Because being an author isn't an easy thing. I'm not sure why anybody chooses to do it. Uh, you know, publishing is, is a, you know, just a black hole. Uh, the, that would take a whole show to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the way, my advice to aspiring authors, because I'm asked this all the time, I say, well, there, there are two secrets to writing a book. Um, one secret, and this is what I did on my first book, which 99% inspiration, um, don't write a book, write 35 articles. So that's advice number one. So in other words, break it down into pieces, uh, which, which is what I did for my first book. I was actually asked to write my first book. Um, I had done an interview with Sales and Marketing Management Magazine about how to train salespeople to be more creative. And then an editor at Amacom, American Management Association, saw that, asked me to write the book. I said, no, but I'll do a general creativity book. And then they picked it as their membership offering. So they sent out 52,000 copies. So oh, I was wow. so lucky uh, with that. Um, the other, by the other, the other secret is to sign a contract. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then you have to write it. Uh, so if you can somehow force yourself, uh, and, and you could do this with a writing club where each week you have to present your every month you have to present work. But but it's it's writing, as you said, is hard. So you I, at least in my case, I'd rather watch 
you know, the Mets game, maybe, the Giants, maybe, uh, then, then right. And so I have to, quote, force myself to do it. Um, you know, in terms of um, idea stormers, which is really a sort of manual on different techniques you can use to help teams be more creative. You know, my life's mission, I, I hope that doesn't sound too highfalutin or whatever, but my work on the, in this world is to really popularize the structure of creativity. That's kind of my, my, my marching orders, right? And so the work that I've done, and I've facilitated over a thousand ideation sessions uh, personally, 500 focus groups, dozens and dozens of creativity training classes, et cetera. Um, part of that, A, I wanted to have the fun of doing that. B, I wanted to see ideas come to market. But also I wanted to, to really empirically validate my ideas and other ideas about which techniques will work to help people get those ideas. And in my opinion, you can't do that if you're not using them, you know, with people to come up with ideas. And so Idea Stormers is really sort of a summary of the, the techniques we invented, the techniques we used, the techniques we customized to address different kinds of business challenges. So a strategy challenge versus positioning versus cost cutting, you use different techniques against different challenges. So that was the contribution that that book made to the field. Right, and we talked a little bit before we got on air about the fact that corporate America, particularly at this moment in time when we're you know, still trying to get the economy back on track, um, you know, companies aren't, um, really looking for big ideas and, and I mean, they should be right, <laughs> but they aren't looking at that because it, they're just waiting to get things back to normal, back to status quo so that they can begin making money again. Yeah. And, and so how, uh, well, I want to, I want to backtrack just a little bit because I do want to talk about the, the 21 days thing, yeah. right? Because you did a 21 day experiment. What made you decide that that was the right duration? And how did you structure the 21 days? Oh, I, I, I'm so thankful you asked me that question because it's a, it's a story I love, love to tell. The genesis, uh, the, the first point of, of entry, if you will, was there's a, a, a professor at Columbia University, Bob Dorf, who is a fa famous for co-writing the Startup Owner's Manual, Lean Innovation with Steve Blank. Right. So, Bob's a friend. He said to me, um, can you help me come up with a process to help my students get better ideas, the entrepreneurial students? He said, only about one in 10 or 12 have an idea that's any good. So, you know, I said, okay, let me think about it. I went on vacation. And I realized, you know, that to really get a really big idea for a business, you really need to have a lot of ideas. And I know this from my ideation work. You know, the problem is people get one idea and they go research it and test it and, and they find out it's a lousy idea when they have to start. So I start all over. So I said, let me create a process where people get dozens of, of good ideas. And from that, they're bound to be some big ideas. Um, in terms of the 21 day thing, um, you know, that, that's, a, it, that's such a funny, funny story. In, in the first manuscript draft, I said, well, behaviors will change after 21 days. Research has shown. The editor said, what research? Ugh. <laughs> you know? 
and and I was just kind of you know going off of twenty one day diet plans and twenty one day this and all that, right? Right. And I or just, moving your your trash can to the other side of the desk. It takes you twenty one days before yeah. you actually hit it. Yes. <laughs> and so when I researched that, it was it actually was the first time I think it appeared was in Maxwell Maltz's book Psycho Cybernetics, where he talked about um, he was a doctor and he talked about those that had uh, lost a limb. It, the phantom limb phenomenon pr subsided or stopped after 21 days. Hmm. Um, you know, so that's how, from what I could tell, that's where it started. And then, of course, all these diet programs and all the rest. The real right. research says that it's more like 80 to 90 days to really, really change a behavior. That being said, I said, well, the world knows 21 days. And secondly, I don't have enough stuff for 80 days. So it's got to be, gotta be 21 days. <laughs> now, in terms of that, you know, big idea every day, you know, how do you create a process that's going to do that? Now, I know dozens of different techniques, but what is the, what is the beginning, middle, and end of this process that's going to help people really come up with big ideas? And so I set the goal for myself of coming up with a big idea every day for 21 days. But I'm also, and I did that, which was hard. But, but I was also, while I was doing that, I was watching my own process and formalizing that. So I was empirically testing and validating, uh, you know, it was sort of a schizophrenic, you know, two-mind approach to this, but that's the only way I could figure out how to do it. And, and, it, and frankly, or I don't know if it's humbly, but honestly, we've now tested the process in a whole bunch of schools, and it really does work. So, so um, that, that's, that's the story of, of, of 21 Days to a Big Idea. Well, I love that. And so, you know, as, as a result of that, you have broken your book out actually into four sections. And, yep. and since 21 doesn't divide like equally here, it's not, you know, right. a certain number of days in each section. But the first section is really discovering your inventive passion. Yes. And I, in my own life, I will tell you, I'm not sure that in the early days, it really was so much inspiration as it was, and this is going to sound bad because they don't seem to go together, but criticism, right? Of observing things that was like, why in the world would you do it that way? Right? And, and when you're in corporate life in a big corporation where everybody else has MBAs, that's not a popular position to take. So needless to say, I wasn't the most popular girl in school, right, in, in the yeah. corporate uh, scenario. Um, but what that turned into, Brian, was innovation and differentiation. And so my inventive passion at the core was not liking the way that things were. Let's pause for a commercial break. You've been listening to The Game Changer, sponsored by Travelling to Give. For more information about our smart event tools that give back with each trip, visit travelingtogive.com. If you can take something negative and have that spawn something positive, that's actually what was birthed in me. And now, I mean, like I wrote a book called The Game Changer, which, you know, everyone will recognize the chessboard uh, on, on the cover of my book, but it's got dominoes on it, right? I mean, just the ultimate in game changing, using something that was intended for something else. And so that's what I've done the rest of my career. So uh, you, you frame in that section of the book 
you know, how to get started, right? And courting that passion and finding the right stimuli for that. So talk to us just a little bit about that discovery process. Yeah, well, um, I, part of it is just my own awareness and knowledge that entrepreneurship and innovation is hard, you know, and I'm sure you experience this because you're, you know, you're challenging the status quo. And in a business, you need both. You need people that are, you know, make, you know making the donuts every day. You got to have that because <laughs> there's income there. But then you also need the, the ones that are going to challenge authority and the status quo and come up with new stuff. And so it almost by definition, you know, game changing or whatever you want to call it, it's a, it can, it's a tough road. And so therefore, my bias is if you're going to create a big idea and make it success, gosh, it should be something you're p passionate about. Because if you're not passionate about it, it's going to be really easy to give up. Um, so, so I start in the first section of the book, I said, well, identify, you know, 50 possible areas that you might wanna have a business, you know, an adventure travel business, uh, you know, a, a, a chef school. I mean, I, you know, a sport, you know, kayaking, it doesn't <laughs> matter. And, and do more than one of those, do 50 of those to push yourself to say, yeah, if I did a, a sports travel business, I've got, I'd be so happy. I couldn't do that, but I'd love it. Well, then you say, stop, maybe you could do that. Right. So, so that was really the importance of, if you will, section one in the book start with something you're passionate about. Right. So then you walk us directly into some of the more practical aspects of generating those ideas and, yeah. and you lay out, uh, you know, kind of in a five day uh, scenario, those creative thinking strategies that, that you actually deploy to make that happen. And I, and I can tell you yeah. uh, because I'm an inventor, uh, both of technology and solutions and new business models, uh, it, it has frustrated me to go through some of the more, uh, you know, the product market fit exercises because yeah. everybody wants to be creating painkillers, right? There right. has to be a pain. And if that were true, when you walked into CVS or Walgreens, there would never be a vitamin aisle, right? right? right. And, and so generating ideas, I, I think we do get ourselves into a bind because we do still create the box. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and so just to, to, to build on what you said, you know, as I, as I went through this whole process, I realized, well, you know, the obvious one strategy is find a problem and solve it. You know, I was a judge for the Connecticut Invention Convention with kids. Those inventions are all about, I had a problem, I, I solved it, right? You know, uh, I could get killed on the bus, so I'm going to do a new kind of seatbelt belt, or right. you know, my feet get cold in the winter, so I've got you know electric socks, whatever it is. So that's one. Another strategy is to find a technology, right, and then turn that technology into adapted into a different field. So you know, I had read about, and, and by the way, you do that is by reading all kinds of trend stuff, and there are you know all kinds of trend services out there. You get those technologies, and one of them happened to be a guy built a car, a bike out of cardboard, specially treated cardboard. Well, so what else could you use that cardboard for? And I came up with, you know, on that day, I came up with 50 ideas, you know, beach sandals or uh, carrying, per, whatever, a million right. ideas. And an another strategy was um, help people self-actualize, right? Because that's, you know, a terrific thing to do. And then, of course, the other one is, is make, make something... Uh, make it at, at, a, at a lower cost or more efficiently. 
So those are basic platforms against which you can can ideate. So that and then after that was kind of section two, and then section three, or I had uh, probably ten or twelve different ideation techniques to then ideate within those platforms. Right. So the first one I love, wishing for the impossible, that wouldn't it be great if? Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a very powerful one. And, and in fact, it's, it, I'm, it's funny you mentioned that. My, new, my newest book, which will hopefully be coming out next year, my publisher has it, excuse me, my literary agent has it out with uh, a, a publisher that's interested in it. It's called Solving Impossible Business Challenges. That's, you know, oh, I love I it. that now. And anyway, but, but the point here is that um, sometimes we can get trapped in that box and we're just thinking, oh my gosh, I've got a cup. Well, now I, can I make it lighter? Can I make it bigger? Well, stop. Think about a wish. It's not the cup or, you know, it, or a screwdriver. It's the hole that you want, right? It's the benefit. And so right. what, what, how else could you think of a cup or how, excuse me, how else can you think of a device that's going to get you water more efficiently, right? And yes. so, and that's the wish. And that can be extremely powerful. Oh my gosh, we have so many examples through, through our ideation sessions where um, if you start with wishing, uh, you, can, you can then get to viable ideas. It's really hard when you start within something to get out of it. The, the, the power of a wish is you start way out and then you bring it back to reality. But, right. but, but frankly, most of us um, have forgotten how to wish as adults yes. because we think it's stupid or fanciful. As kids, oh my gosh, we were great at wishing. Right. Um, so that's, that's, you have to do it sort of consciously and almost artificially to get your back, yourself back into that, that wishing mode of thinking, if you will. Well, and you know, you've just given me an idea, Brian, because uh, in my business, we are selling, and I use that term loosely because we actually give our technology away and then we pay our clients a percentage of the revenue that we get once it's in place. Nice. And, but no one's looking for what we have, right? So this is the, the microwave for the housewife in, in the 1950s. You don't ask her if she wants to buy a microwave. You ask her if she wants to spend more time with her family, right? Yep. And if, if it would help if she could make dinner faster, right? And, and then you, you get to the end game. And in this case, wishing for the impossible, I look at right now at this particular moment in time, and if I were a company in the event space, or let's get more specific, the event technology space, you know, your business would have been decimated over the last six yeah. or eight months, right? Uh, with, with events not really taking place except for online. And so wishing for the impossible is how can I make more money from, you know, the people who do attend events, right? And, and so what we actually do is we get people more engaged and we bring a new revenue stream, right? So that's what they're wishing for. They're not wishing for a hotel a booking tool that will find a hotel nearby the event venue, right? Which is how we deliver that, that new revenue. So I am going to try using some of these techniques for spurring in our prospective clients that wish for the impossible. Cause I think that's a great marketing technique. Yeah. And, and you, you say something really important. If you can involve whomever it is in the creative process, um, first of all, it can be really fun. But secondly, um, it can be uh, more informed and more productive because they know what they need and their realities and all the rest. 
And then maybe even most importantly, because they're part of the process of invention, they are much, 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 much more likely <laughs> to accept it and want to go do that. Um, you know, uh, because they were, they helped create it. And right. so one, one of the things we do, I mean, we do joint session. We did a, a joint session between CPAC, uh, Frozen Food Guys, second largest in the nation behind Gordon's. We did a joint session between them and Kroger, you know, the chain, the chain also right. at Walmart. We co-created new ideas and we, um, you know, this uh, shrimp on the go pack has become one of the biggest successes in the history of the company. And it was co-created with the retailer. I love that. So the, the last section of the book, I think, is, is really in many ways, and especially for somebody who is already uh, ideating these kinds of things, it's choosing, developing, and creative, creatively selling your biggest ideas. Because again, I don't have any problem generating ideas, but getting yeah. other people to be able to realize that they're actually possible, right? That that's really the challenge. So, you know, what, what are some of the key ways? And, you know, I'd like to kind of bring it home uh, with, with this, that once you have come up with ideas, how can you get other people on board? Yeah. So thank you for that. And, and by the way, uh, people, don't understand that the big idea, you know, is five or 10% of the deal here, right? You need to use these ideation, these creative techniques to solve the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of challenges you, you hit along the way of innovating. How do I get the money? How do I get the support? How do I make a sale, right? How do I produce it at a cost that makes sense? All those things are challenges that have to be overcome and they can be overcome creatively with other ideas. So specifically in terms of selling, um, we have all kinds of techniques we use. Uh, one of them is problem redefinition. You know, um, in my, if, if people want the very specifics of this, they can go to my, my TEDx talk, which is uh, solving impossible challenges. I ripped off my TEDx talk for the new book, but um, the technique is problem redefinition. Just really simply, if you have, you know, how do we sell more life insurance, right? You come up with different options for the how. So normally it's a salesperson, but maybe it's uh, an admin, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a former client. Column one, column two, sell. Think about that differently. Incentivize, giveaway, co-market, telemarket. That's column two. Column three, new ways to think about insurance or, or maybe the target market you're going after, et cetera, et cetera. Then you kind of do a mix and match, right? And you could, and if you had 10 in each column, you'd have a thousand different ideas for how you could sell more creatively. Mm. So, um, and there, and we have, you know, if you will, dozens of different techniques around selling. The point though, it's not, you know, okay, do our, do our PowerPoint and let's send you out and good luck. No, it's, you want to be much, much, much more, more creative uh, about how you approach selling as well. Right, right. Well, that, that's, uh, we could talk about that all day long because that's, that's where I am as we, we have built out uh, these amazing sets of solutions. And now, now we're faced with, uh, you know, how do you sell when you've got no money to pay salespeople, right? Yes. So the, the challenge is, is a, a big one, but not insurmountable. Well, Brian, this has been just amazing. And like I said, this is a topic I, I, uh, I could talk about for days, literally. So we have been talking to Brian Matamore, the author of 21 Days to a Big Idea, 
creating breakthrough business concepts. Uh, he had a previous uh, version, which was a little bit more about doing this in a corporate environment called Idea Stormers, how to lead and inspire creative breakthroughs. Brian, tell our listeners how to best follow you or get in touch with you. Because if they want someone to come and work with them on these things, or they want somebody to come and speak uh, at a, an event, how do they get in touch with you? Well, thank you, God. That's so kind of you to ask me that. Thank you, Chicky. So our, our website is quite good. It's growth-engine.com. Uh, people can email me, certainly, bmattamore uh, at growth-engine.com. I'm on LinkedIn. And it's pretty easy to find me because Brian is B-R-Y-A-N and Matamore, there aren't a lot of Matamores out there. So you <laughs> to find me. And I'm happy if people just want advice, I'm happy to give them advice. If they're, you know, doing a session and just want me to tell, tell them what I think, I'm happy to do that as well. Well, terrific. And I also uh, thank you for mentioning the TEDx talk uh, in my book, uh, which is a it's a work of fiction, but it's a, a business allegorical novel. It begins uh, with the, the key character in the book on the TEDx stage, right? And so that, that is my, uh, my heart's desire to, to be in that role uh, one day. So uh, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go watch that talk, and I should have watched it before this interview. But Brian, it has just been absolutely delightful. I am so glad that we crossed paths. And uh, again, thank you so much for sharing uh, your ideas about creating breakthrough. Well, thank you, Chicky. And uh, you know, for me, a good, a good or great interview is, is when I learn something and I have fun, and I did both today. So thank you so much. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thanks for joining us. Go out and change your day by creating breakthrough in your business. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. Thank you.